Good morning, cross-lifers. Man, I miss you. But what a glorious day. What a day of rejoicing. And I know that the world may look at us and wonder what it is that may cause us to find such joy in such uncertain dark times, and it's this. That our joy comes from the finished cross and the empty tomb. His blessed resurrection is the source of all our joy and contentment and hope. And today we're going to read from John 20 in its entirety. And then I have two two reflections and two thoughts for us this Easter. Just as we read from John 18 and 19 last week, I want to read from John 20. And I'm reading it for all of us because the truth is, is that while we could read it on our own, that there is a reality that maybe we won't read it on our own. We'll be so familiar with this story that we will breeze through passages. And I'm reading it too because... Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So for anyone who may hear these words, may they, if they are a believer, may they be emboldened and rejuvenated. Or may they, if they are not a follower of Christ, may they be quickened and caught up in the power of the crucified and resurrected Christ. Faith comes from hearing. It's good for believers to hear again and again, and it's wonderful for non-believers to hear. But my overall message today is that the resurrection is central to all of who we are as Christians. And though this is a rich theological truth, I'm going to offer only two reflections for us to consider this Easter of 2020. And so now, here is John 2020, or I'm sorry, John 20, which is the rest of the story we started last week. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that would be John, by the way, who's writing this, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb, but both of them were running together. But the other disciple, John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw, and he believed." For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stood to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. 
Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do you not, or do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believed. Cross off that refers to all of us believers right now. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Last two verses. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book of the Gospel of John. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for Easter. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you that you loved the world so much that you would send your only Son whom you love and hold so dearly and so true, and you would send him into this world, not as a perfect man-God. Though he was perfect, and though he was fully man and though, though he was fully God, you sent him into this world, my point is, you sent him into this world clothed in human flesh, totally susceptible to everything else in this world that we are susceptible to. Even death on a cross, even being beaten for our sins, even bleeding real blood for our sins, even experiencing hunger and pain and anguish. Lord Jesus, you came to this earth and you experienced the human life, but you were able to do it without sin. And then you who knew no sin, Jesus, you became sin for us. And you died on the cross bearing all of our sin and the weight of the disappointment that we should have before God. And you have rectified that. You have reconciled us to God. And then you died. And this is what we celebrate today is not necessarily your death, but your resurrection. Lord, on Good Friday, you died. And the goodness of that is that you were the good sacrifice once and for all time for all men from all nations, unending to unending, the end of days, the perfect sacrifice on the cross, Good Friday. There was the death of death in the death of Jesus. 
So, Lord, now we celebrate the resurrection. Lord, be with us as we listen to to your word today and think on more and more of who you are and what you have accomplished on our behalf. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. Amen. Church, I have two thoughts. And the first thought that I want us to consider this morning is that his resurrection displays God's full satisfaction with Jesus' sacrifice. Say it one more time. His resurrection displays God's full satisfaction with Jesus' sacrifice. And this is probably more important than you and I realize on the surface. But think about it in this way. Any man can die for any man. Or any woman can die for any woman. I can die for you and you can die for me and I can sacrifice myself for you, but that will not result in my immediate resurrection. I mean, I know that as a Christian, I will one day be resurrected. Um, you know, after my death, I, to fall asleep in this, this world, I will be resurrected to new life in His presence. But I'm talking in a worldly fashion here that, that I can sacrifice myself and there be no resurrection. I will not come right back to life just because I gave myself for you right here. Any man can die for any man. Any sacrifice can be made for any purpose. And that is simply to clarify that sacrifice can simply be a sacrifice. And that is between you and me in this world. And while it may be admired, while the result may bring you comfort or joy or heartbreak, the sacrifice in and of itself is complete. The act is complete and it's over. In all of your power, you would not be able to resurrect me from that sacrifice. Now let me move a little bit further. Let's go to the great sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, and consider the importance of that singular sacrifice. See, the question that many Christians can readily answer is, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? And all of my children have been able to answer that question at such a young age, and they will say so clearly and so truly, because to them there's no other reason, they will say, for our sins. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? For our sins. But cross life. I fear that we do not understand the depth of that answer. So let's consider that first. And I assure you that it builds to the resurrection, and let's, but let's begin at the sacrifice on the cross. See, there's a great problem, a great dilemma to which we are born. There is a holy and a just God in heaven who created all things and declared them all to be good. And then we as his creation, we have sinned against him. And it's a tragic cycle that has continued from Adam and Eve's first prideful, self-centered act of sin. We're born into this world and we live lives so self-centered, so sin-seeking that our desire is not naturally for God, but to seek that which satisfies ourselves. And a holy God, though, must judge and punish sin. He must uphold justice. Yet this is also the God who desires to love and lavish on His creation and to redeem them so that they can dwell with Him forever. How can a just God forgive the unjust? Only with a just and perfect sacrifice. See, the Old Testament sacrificial system really was insufficient to pay the full cost of sins. It was too burdensome, too weak to capture the depth of our sin. 
The sacrifices had to be repeated daily and routinely. The priests themselves were fallible. And all of this makes us realize as we read the law, how much more we need a Savior. We look at the law and we read through through Deuteronomy and we see all the tenets of the law and we see the, the sacrificial system and what rises in us even now is what was rising in them even then. There is no way we can do this well enough. God, we need something else. We need a Savior to save us. The law when used lawfully, shows us how sinful we really are. The purpose of the law was to expose our sin to ourselves because we didn't understand what holiness was. And so we begin to realize as we look at the sacrifices and the the routines and the festivals that there's there's got to be a Savior. We need a Savior because we won't make it otherwise. And so we look to Christ And we say nowadays, well, there's our Savior. But I fear we miss the magnitude of the sacrifice. For many Christians, it's more or less just a historic event, his his death on the cross. It's not the eternity-shifting, cosmic, redemptive act of the most majestic for the most depraved. For most Christians, it is the death of a good man for us even. But you and I know it's really more than that. And when we really start to dwell on who Jesus is, we really do know it's more than that. It just gets watered down in our daily lives. It's more than that. It's the the willing the death of the king for his subjects. It is his murder for our ransom. It is his perfect life for our wicked lives. I've heard it preached that the cross shows us how valuable we are. No. The cross is not a message of how valuable we are. It is a message of how sinful we are. It's a message of our depravity and the due consequences. There must be a just and perfect sacrifice because of who we are and who we have become. And this just and perfect sacrifice is Jesus on the cross. Jesus' death was not only the absolute plan, church, it was absolutely necessary. Now, we understand our great need of who Jesus was, but now let's begin to look at what he does on our behalf. Hebrews 10, 11, and 12, if you will turn there. And you can, you can pause this recording and turn there and then hit play again. But in Hebrews 10, 11 and 12, it says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. Do you hear that, church? The priest who would stand daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, that cannot take away sins. And then it says, But when Christ had offered for all time, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Now, talked about our sinfulness, and we know that Jesus was he who knew no sin, and he became sin for us. So he actually became the embodiment of all of our sin from all time, from every nation, every tribe. We we know that our sin was embodied in him on the cross 
But look at that. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for our sins, whenever all of that was put to death, he sat down at the right hand of God. Now let me ask you this question. Who would ever have the right to sit at the right hand of God? In church, cross life, it is this. Only someone with whom God was completely satisfied. Now listen to this verse about Jesus' sacrifice. 1 John 2, 2 says, He, Jesus, is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Why, why do I bring that verse in here? Because we've been talking a whole lot about up to this point about our sin, our need, our depravity, our depth, and now, 1 John 2, 2, I bring in this. He, Jesus, is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but our, for the sins of the whole world. See, there's a key word in there that we want to look at because it points to the perfection of Christ and the work of God in Jesus' resurrection. The word propitiation. Now, what does that word mean? And it's actually a very important, meaningful word that we don't use very much today. But as we think about Jesus and we think about the resurrection and God's satisfaction in Jesus, it means, propitiation means that this is the appeasement or the removal of wrath. So bear with me because because I, th- I think that this is good. See, God hates sin. He's not indifferent to it. He's not... Not just disregarding. He hates sin. He who is holy cannot bear anything that is unholy. And in his holiness, he has anger toward our sin. This is all throughout Scripture. It cannot be denied from Genesis to Revelation. We just read that when people sin, God hates sin. And in his holiness, he has anger towards it. Read the Old Testament. It's there. Read the New Testament. It's there. There is anger towards sin. So what does it mean that Jesus is a propitiation for our sins, bringing us all together? It means that that anger toward us for our sins, that wrath toward us for our sins, it means that He has completely and absolutely satisfied the wrath of God for our sins. It is Gone. He is the propitiation. The depth of our depravity has been overcome by the fullness of his grace and life. Jesus' death on the cross is our propitiation. It is the appeasement of God's wrath toward us. How great must that sacrifice be that his death would remove the wrath of God from us? How perfect is that sacrifice that is not only the removal of our sins as believers, but that the sacrifice is so appeasing and so perfect and that it is deep and wide enough for all of the world if only the world would cry out. So now listen to Hebrews ten fourteen. It says, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Acts 2 says it. This is just one, one glimpse. You'll see, see this throughout the entire New Testament. Acts 2 says that God raised him, raised Jesus up from the dead, and that Jesus is exalted at the right hand of God. Oh, church, if we could just stop focusing so much on ourselves and churches and on our lives, 
and just marvel at how wonderful a sacrifice was performed and how perfect it was that God would show his satisfaction in Jesus's perfect obedience in life, that Jesus would raise him up, would resurrect him and give to him the seat at his right hand. What a blessed resurrection, not only for us, but what a blessed resurrection for Jesus. That all that he came to accomplish was so perfect that the father would look at his son and would resurrect him from the dead to validate his life and his, res- and his death to the rest of the world. But would also just resurrect him and say, come sit at my right hand. All that you have done is perfect and I'm fully satisfied. What other sacrifice was ever resurrected, cross life? None. But that our blessed Lord Jesus Christ, in fulfillment of Scripture, died for sinful man in such a perfect and God-satisfying way that God the Father would bring him back home bodily. How amazing is that? Let's praise Jesus and let's praise God that, that he would be so good to our Savior Our Savior, who is now interceding for us and calling us home. Our God has honored him and sits him at his right hand. Man, what a blessed resurrection. But to to know that God is fully satisfied in the death and the sacrifice and the life of Jesus. Now, cross life. My second point. Jesus' resurrection challenges how we live. In light of Jesus' blessed resurrection, I want to point your attention to one more verse or to one more passage for our Easter 2020 consideration. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19. And I do want you to, I want you to pause. I want you to quickly turn there. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19. And it says this. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found then to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he has raised, that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So let's look at look at the core of what Paul is saying here. Because I'm afraid that, that many Christians... These days we'll miss this. I'm afraid that many of our churches and homes are full of of Christians who have not realized how vital the resurrection really is. Not just that he was raised again, but there's, there's something vital that is an undercurrent for all that we see in the New Testament and the early church fathers and the martyrs and the missionaries who give their lives. They understand the, the this central concern, the central reality of the resurrection I think that they get it, and and maybe more people than I think do. But I believe that Paul here is drawing a line in the sand with these verses in Corinthians. Or he's providing a litmus test for us. Let's listen to some of these verses in isolation. 
And if Christ has not been raised, he writes in verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Do you hear what he's saying? He's not saying, or yeah, he's not saying that it all hinges on the reality of God or on the sacrifice of the cross. He is saying that everything hinges on the resurrection. Look again. If Christ has not been raised, if Christ has not been resurrected, two things. Our preaching is in vain. It's a waste of time. And your faith is in vain. It's worthless. Because for Paul and the early believers in the, the early church, and for us today, the resurrection of the crucified Christ is the center of our faith. So those of you who are listening, cross life, believers, is it for you? Listen to 1 Corinthians fifteen sixteen through 18. He says, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who also, I'm sorry, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. What's he saying here? He's saying that if Christ had not been resurrected, then there is no resurrection for anyone. Oh, Christian, you hope for your future resurrection, but know that your resurrection is only completely, absolutely contingent upon his perfect and first resurrection. Now, of course, Paul knows that, that Jesus has been resurrected. That's his point. He's, he's arguing a point, to a counterpoint to make his main point. Paul is preaching about how important and vital Jesus' resurrection actually is. It all builds to this one point, this one verse, which is 1 Corinthians fifteen nineteen. This is one that really should be underlined in your Bible. If you're someone who has never underlined anything in your Bible, then this might be one to underline so that you can really visit this one. It's a litmus test for you and me. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. That's a heavy verse. If in Christ we have hope only in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, if, if Jesus was not resurrected, then we should be pitied. Now let that sink in. If Christ were not resurrected, we should be pitied beyond all other people, is what Paul says. Now why would he say that? Do you see the weight of Jesus' blessed resurrection? It calls us not only to rejoice, but also to respond. And so here's what Paul is saying. and says, if Jesus has not been resurrected, this is my paraphrase, if he has not been resurrected, if he is still dead in a tomb, or if they've stolen his body, then the way that we have lived our lives should make us to be the most pitied people because we have invested everything in that one truth. If he is not resurrected, then we are fools and we have wasted our entire lives. So then there's this. As we look at the resurrection and we consider this verse, is that how differently you and I live our lives? Is that how much we value and see the resurrection that our lives are so radically spent that if they were to find the body of Jesus, then people would pity us for how differently we have lived? For how devoted we have been to this resurrection. 
there's a there's a great challenge before us to not only love the praise and the promise of the resurrection, but also to love the pursuit of the resurrection. We cannot proclaim the resurrection and yet live a life that denies it. It's unbiblical. You cannot do it. You cannot proclaim the death and the resurrection of Jesus and then live a life that denies it. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ calls us to respond by laying down our lives, our own agendas, our own preferences, our own sins, and to walk in our new resurrected lives. So cross life. I do implore you this Easter, as you look at the resurrection, praise and glory in the fact that God was so satisfied in Jesus' perfect sacrifice. But also understand the great challenge of the resurrection. And I implore you, based on Scripture, to live your life in such a way that if the resurrection were proven false, then all of your friends and family would pity you. Cross off, let's strive together to live such radical lives that the world cannot help but see the impact of Jesus' supernatural, blessed resurrection imprinted on our lives. May our lives, which are resurrected because of His resurrection, our hope within us, our strength and our joy, may that so impact this world that they seek out the resurrection of the Lord themselves. I want us to end where we began this Easter morning, cross life. In John 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. And while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. What joy that God the Father was so satisfied with Jesus' sacrifice that we will be able to rejoice in and forever respond to the miraculous beauty of the resurrection. Cross life, enjoy this day. But may every day be lived in light and in celebration of the resurrection, not only Easter today, but Easter every day until he returns and brings us home. He is our God and we are his. And he is bringing us home through the resurrected Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, um, these are really inadequate words in and of themselves, except that, except that your word is so true. You not only came and lay in a manger, but you walked this earth with us. You walked this earth for us. You walked the earth and you lived a life that we could not live and you died a death that we could not die. And you were found perfect in a way that we never could. But it is by your blood that you have appeased and removed the wrath of God towards sinful man and sinful women and sinful children. You are the propitiation. You are the perfect sacrifice, fully satisfying. And you, until the end of days, which will never happen, in eternity, but here on earth they happen. But until the end of days, from unending to unending, you are to be praised. Worthy, 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 holy, 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 are you God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And God, thank you for for loving our Savior, for resurrecting our Savior, 
And God the Son, thank you for coming, for bleeding, for being slain, for dying, and for healing us. And being the first of the resurrection, Lord, for bringing us all home. And God, thank you for your Holy Spirit that is within us. That when we go to work or we're with our family, or we're trying to navigate this world that, that is so different right now in light of the coronavirus pandemic, Lord, thank you for your Spirit that gives us hope and, and strengthens us to be different in a world. Lord, help us to always live in light of your resurrection. God, thank you for all that you've given us, all of your grace and love. And Lord, I pray that you help us to always think again on the sacrifice of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and that we live a life that honors you. Lord God, we love you. We thank you that you first loved us. Amen.